part of manifesting business success is bringing people with you. This is Sue Freck, and I'm your host of the Happy Marketer Connection podcast brought to you by Vesta. Each week, along with my guests, other fellow passionate marketers, we'll explore engaging and inventive marketing strategies, and we'll toast brands making impactful consumer and brand connections. Please kick back, relax, and join our happy half hour of marketing inspiration and positivity and come away a happier and smarter marketer. So this week's theme is business manifestation. This is really a great time of year to start planning if you haven't already done so, but when we think about planning, we might not always think of it in terms of business manifestation. Some people think of business manifestation as your vision and mission. Others may say it's like a vision board. Today, we are going to discuss how Ken Lempett thinks of business manifestation and how with the right mindset and planning, you can achieve your goals for this year and beyond. Ken is the president and chief business officer at Austin Lawrence Group. He has also launched a new podcast called SaaS Backwards, which we'll hear more about shortly. Ken's expertise is in helping SaaS companies market their services and exponentially grow their business. But this podcast is not just for SaaS leaders, because we know there's so many commonalities when it comes to marketing and leadership, no matter what type of work you're in or what type of business you run. I also wanted to share the bittersweet news that this will be the last episode of the Happy Marketer Connection. It's been so wonderful connecting with so many happy marketers and diving into their tips, their stories, and their recommendations during this podcast. I really appreciate you tuning in, and I am super grateful, even if you found a second of value in it. Now, what we've realized over the past 30 episodes of this podcast is the best fit for Vesta and myself in the podcasting world is to focus on community. That's where we excel, and that's what we're all about, and that's how we can best help you every single episode. So please stay tuned for our new podcast on community-powered marketing coming soon. Thank you. Excellent. So welcome to another episode of the Happy Marketer Connection. Today we have Ken Limpet with us. He is the president and chief business builder at Austin Lawrence Group. Welcome, Ken. Thanks, Sue. Uh, Really appreciate the opportunity to appear on your podcast and get the message out to your audience. Excellent. So we have so much to cover today, and I always laugh, it's our happy half hour, so we'll get right into it. This week's theme is business manifestation. We'll talk more about what that means, but I'd love for you to just share your background, um, your business, and who you're servicing. So I started out my career as a technician, but I always wanted to be in marketing, and it took moving through two large enterprises, Citicorp and before that IBM, until I had the opportunity to get into marketing proper in uh, a family business that was a traditional B2B advertising agency. So uh, my career started out as a programmer. I was a technical sales rep. I built some very cool tech for Citi, got a taste for the marketing at Citi, and then went into business with my dad. So that's how I got to be in the agency business. I've been in one agency the entire time. It's Austin Lawrence Group. Um, as we are currently configured. We're a content marketing firm. We specialize in helping software as a service and professional services firms to uh, grow their business. And we also do some consulting work on the software as a service business model for firms that are uh, not achieving the growth they expect or maybe have some problems in the business, but they're not sure what the answers are. 
Was the business always focused on SaaS? Well, the business is pretty old, so... Um, <laughs> so not always. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting question. So everything that's uh, new or old is new again. So when I first was a computer programmer trainee in college, we had time sharing. The computer was in the, was in the sky, and you had a little bit of computer time with which to run your programs. And, well, that's kind of true again today. All the software runs in the sky, and we share pieces of it. So the business model, I think, is just much more refined than it was. Um, but software as a service is just another manifestation of a, of a business. It's just a way to deliver that product. Yeah, which, which, as you know, we are in the SaaS business, so I was so excited to listen to your podcast, which we will talk more about um, in a few minutes as well. So, you know, at what stage would be a time when a company would come to you? Like, what's most common or where, where, where's like a really good fit for you, like clients that you're servicing? There's a few places where we seem to meet clients and they're, we're a good fit. So if there's a problem, like... A, unacceptable levels of churn. We can be asked to come in and take a look at sales, marketing, customer success, and try and figure out what are the reasons for that symptom. Excessive churn is a symptom of a problem in the business model. The actual root cause of the churn you know, could be something unexpected. It could be a new competitor entering that you haven't really isn't on your radar. It could be you know, that your pricing is out of line with changes in the marketplace, or it just could be that you don't, you're not doing a good job of um, onboarding and making the journey of being, becoming and being a user of the product, uh, a good one or enjoyable one, productive one. So that's one place. A, a lot of times it's after a venture funding round, entrepreneurs, you know, they make big promises when they're going to get the money. And then holy cow, now we've got to make good on all the promises we made. What we'll see there is that the organization is not built to drive the levels of growth that were promised in the investor presentation. So you don't have the people, you don't have the resources, you don't have the marketing or sales technologies. So you need to build up your organization, build your capability, build your go-to-market to match the commitments. And probably the last case is, you know, an entrepreneur owned company that has some newfound ambition. Maybe they've brought in new partners or they bought a company of, of their own. You know, so they're the acquirer, not a target. So there's ambition that maybe is unfulfilled. Those are the, those are the reasons. Um, we don't typically work with very young companies, though we get some of those requests. Um, we, you know, we will work with young companies um, if we think that they're really promising or, um, you know, candidly, our business has been lumpier in the pandemic and we've actually taken on some younger firms. Usually that's, even in these cases, it's because we see a promise of something more that, you know, there's an opportunity for us to grow with them. So um, they've likely had some amount of funding or they're a, a spinoff of an existing firm. That's two cases that, you know, we're working with today. Yeah, and, and, and I'm excited to get into how you're helping those clients, but it definitely seems like you're fitting a lot of what the market needs right now. You know, for our company, so much in the beginning was focused on driving revenue, and now we look heavily at churn. Do you have a recommendation? You know, should companies look equally, focus efforts, product um, messaging on acquiring new customers as much as they should be looking at why customers are leaving or churning? 
so as as you grow, churn is a big drag on the upward chart, right? The growth chart. So uh, churn that is beyond you know the benchmarks for your kind of company is a place to to really look for opportunity. I I think that um, there's a number of studies that between 70 and 95% of the value happens after the sale in a SaaS model. So we have to be looking in good times or bad at how do we retain, grow, and expand our footprint, you know, with the current clients we have. So I would say that it's, it's always a good thing to look at. One of the things I've come to experience and, and, you know, working with a lot of entrepreneurs, some of them don't want to look at the failures and it's really hard, you know, why don't you like my product? You know, why don't you like me? These are hard questions sometimes. If we identify very closely with our business, which many entrepreneurs do, uh, and most of our clients are entrepreneur-owned or entrepreneur-led, even if they have investors, it's sometimes very hard to look in the mirror and say, wow, you know, I'm failing in these ways. And also entrepreneurs are free to focus more on what interests them than maybe what's good for the business itself. So if you're really into product management and you just want to make the best product, you may not care about the operational aspects of your business. Churn is, I think, the key. It's one of the key indicators that everybody follows, but I think we have to marry it up to what is the opportunity. And if in an entrepreneur-owned software firm, what we're trying to do is create wealth for ourselves and our close compatriots in building this business. You know, your management team you know, may have an interest in the business as well. And if you're interested in creating long-term wealth and maybe even a liquidity event in the future, churn is one of the metrics that anybody who's going to buy your business is going to be looking at uh, among the other efficiency measures in the business. So there's many reasons to focus on it, many reasons to fix it. And the diagnostics really depend on the business. You know, um, everybody's different. All the companies we've met with over you know, many years, they all have different attributes, positive and negative, that contribute to their success with, with their clients. So you're positioning at that, looking at the churn, there is an opportunity, you know, why, and, and to even just ask, you know, maybe there are listeners, ourselves included, that we're just not asking our clients. They seem happy, they're renewing a couple of years in a row, and then all of a sudden they disappear. Maybe we weren't asking the questions that we should have been asking for the feedback. What don't, what do you like about a product? Yeah. But what don't you like about our product or what's missing? Yeah. Also a lot of times um, the companies are led by people that were sales executives. So their life experience is the reward is on the new logo and they build their organizations understandably around driving revenue growth, especially in the first few years of the business. But the fact is the glory in the business, the, the really powerful driver of profitability is marrying sales and customer success into this virtuous loop where we sell something that people want, we onboard them and make them love the thing throughout their experience with it. And oh, in marketing, we do good product management so that we can do more upsells and sell more to new people. So that's why we look at sales, marketing, and customer success as a holistic approach to what's driving you know, the outcomes in the business. For your clients, how, how often are, is it the process, and maybe it's not an even percentage, but the process versus the product? Like you go in and say, okay, listen, I can fix all these things, but honestly, 
your product needs to do X, Y, and Z, or you're over-promising and it's actually not delivering what you're saying it's going to deliver. So you're never going to be able to reduce the churn. I think the vast majority of times it's the people, not the product. I think that's really the truth. I mean, when you look at, you look at how RFPs are answered, if you get to that point, you know, where products are complicated, certainly these products, they cover off 90 to 98% of the same function. There are relatively few truly unique things in the market. There, there are unique attributes. There are unique use cases. But there, most of these products have analogs or competitors in the market. A lot of times, it's, the, it's what the people are doing in those functions, how they're budgeted, how they're managed, the assets they have to work with, you know, do, do you have a customer success function or is it just a customer service? When something breaks, we answer the phone. Customer success is all about engendering, you know, loyalty and creating use of a product so that people don't wander off. So, you know, customer success is not answering the phone when something breaks. Customer success is creating affinity, creating relationships as you can, depending on the price of your product, so that people continue to use and renew. So I think that's really where the answer is. It's usually the people and process. And of course, I mean, there's crap product out in the market. Yeah. <laughs> that happens. I mean, if you go on something like G2 or uh, Captera and you're looking for you know, a new accounting software, there's going to be better and worse rated accounting softwares. But at the top of the heap, it's about what is it like to do business with these people, not what does the product do? Right, right. That's really interesting. Is there a common mistake that you see when you're when you're bringing on onboarding a new client from a CEO, a, a C-level CMO? Like it's like you're seeing it time and time again. You go, yep, I've seen this. Here's and and maybe why does it keep happening? That's really interesting. Yes, you do see you see the same thing sometimes, and then you always learn something new. So I think CEOs tend to have two kinds of focus. They've got the three to five year plan. You know, the CEO needs to be looking whatever their mandate is from either, you know, it's either they own the business and they're, they've got some personal goal or they have investors that they've promised some outcome. And so they're focused on that and they drive toward that. Uh, again, I think a lot of it is not looking at the less glamorous parts of the business. Like a, a new piece of learning for me was anytime I work with a, a client, if any of the functional units don't provide the information I've asked for when the CEO has told them it's due, I've got to look there first because they're uncomfortable about something in their organization mm, and they yeah. don't want to reveal it. Right, right. So I think that these kind of outside consulting engagements are highly valuable to CEOs because they often don't ask the tough questions. They have people they trust and believe in and they want to believe in, you know, a good leader, they put all the chess pieces on the chessboard and they want to believe they're going to do what they're supposed to do. You know, they believe in servant leadership and they're the bulldozer of getting rid of obstacles, all of these very of the moment management principles and, and truly meaningful ones. But I think it creates a blind spot on who's not doing their job. So I think that's one of the, one of the things I've come to realize is that people don't always look where the problems are. They don't ask the tough questions. I think that's, um, Maybe it's just sort of the way our, our culture and society are, are aiming us is that we want to believe that everybody is self-actualized, that everybody is doing their best. 
And the fact is people remain people. Sometimes they don't do a great job and it may not be that they're not good people, but they might be great person, wrong seat. And that we're going to talk about that again when we talk to manif about manifestation. You know, sometimes you just have people that are really good for your business, but they're not good in the spot they're in. Um, so I think not asking the tough questions is one of the things I've come to see uh, more frequently than I would have expected. And then again, um, in entrepreneur owned or led businesses, following their interests and passion versus the demands of the SaaS business model. I think those are two things. I call it my shiny new thing syndrome. <laughs> well, yeah, there are plenty of people that are shiny object or they're very deep on one aspect of their business. Like many people come into software because they're expert in something else. So they have an expertise and it's going to be brought to market through a platform. And they're not software people. They're community building or loyalty yeah, people or they're... Exactly. I should say that's us, right? Yeah, yeah. Or they're, you know, they're, they're uh, accounting people or they're professional services experts and they built a dashboard system to run professional services companies, but they don't know anything or they haven't learned everything they could about running a software company. And um, so we see that also. So if you find yourself as a business leader and you're a subject matter expert outside of the software business running a software company, I think it's incumbent upon you to become an expert in the kind of thing you're, you're running as well as your area of expertise. And so that's, I think one other thing we see is that just not being a student of the business model. Yeah, it was interesting on your, and we'll get to your podcast right next, but, but on your first podcast with Joey Connect, I love that he's using his own software. And I think that that's also, I've always felt that that's put us at an advantage. You know, we build community engagement software, but we have our own community and we are one of the only companies out there that has our own community. So we're using and testing ours every day, but I'm sure there's plenty of software companies out there that the person building it and selling it never uses it. They have no need for it. It's crazy, right? It makes, <laughs> almost makes no sense. But it almost does, but I see Almost makes no sense. Almost, almost. Interested in building a home for your audience? Our Vesta solution powers online communities, giving your consumers a home for a world of engagement and connections. To learn more, visit us at vesta-go.com. So let's get into your podcast. I love the name of it, if you want to share with my audience. <laughs> sure. Um, so we've just launched our podcast called SAS Backwards. And our tagline for the podcast is reverse engineering SAS success. And we interview CEOs and CMOs of SaaS companies that have um, cracked some kind of nut. They've figured out some things that through their trials, you know, everybody fails somewhat or sometimes. How did they solve a problem, crack that nut and get their business going the way they wanted to? In our you know, years of speaking with the leaders at software companies, we sort of see some consistent themes about what it takes to succeed. You know, is it blind faith or persistence as uh, one of your recent podcast guests said? Um, you know, what does it take to be successful? Is it getting the right people? Is it, you know, becoming a student of the business model? Is it solving a problem that wasn't solved before? There's, there's a lot to making SaaS work as a business model and that's what we seek to reveal. Yeah, it's exciting. And I highly encourage everybody listening to my podcast to tune in especially, you know, your first one, again, Joey Connect, quite a dynamic, very successful 
CEO. Um, but I think we certainly all have lots to learn, which is what I love about my podcast, having people on that can share. But what was the rational reason for you, you starting your own podcast? So um, we have two business objectives we're seeking to meet. One is to position the firm more strongly as an expert in the SaaS space. And it's a good medium from which to do so. It allows us to have in-depth conversations like this that are, they just go way beyond what we can even do in a series of blog posts. And they're revealing in that um, you get to hear how not only I think, but what do the CEOs and CMOs think? And, and is there any alignment between what we're trying to have our clients do and what our guests uh, believe is successful for them as well? And then also we view it as a business development tool. It's hard sometimes to get people to pick up the phone, especially in today's world. Nobody's in their office or few people are. And um, we want to have a meaningful way to engage people and to offer them value in our initial contact. So um, with CMOs having half-life of about uh, 18 months, they're always working on their personal brand. And if we can provide some value in exposing how they think to a, an, a, an audience who may be considering them for a future job assignment, that's a value we can offer them. And um, we also talk about their business and every once in a while, you know, something good happens just from that conversation. So those are the two reasons. Yeah, I love it. And you, I'm sure certainly all of your years experience, I know for myself, you have a line of guests that that's, you know, super valuable conversations you've had over the years that can, as you said, really help your listeners, your audience, potentially prospects as well. So I think that's super, super smart. I love it. And again, I encourage people to listen to it. Thank you. Yeah, the, the next few guests are unbelievable. Um, we have a multiple time SaaS CEO, a gentleman named Vitas Casilius coming up. He has a a SaaS for hospital systems and payers called ReferWell. And he's uh, going to be a four or five year overnight success. He's really got a tiger by the tail now. And um, a multiple time CMO at SaaS firms, a guy named uh, Chava Chaktoa, really going to talk to us about one of my, my pet areas, which is success for the new CMO. What do you do in your first hundred or 200 days? So I, we're going to have a lot of great content and um, I just think it's exciting and I'm, I'm really pleased that you gave us a platform to promote that as well. Thank you. Yeah, exciting. So our theme is business manifestation. You know, we spoke um, just real briefly on this and I said it was just so thought provoking for myself. You know, I certainly use it in my life and I said, okay, this is to your point. I'm a CEO founder. This is my five year. You know, this is my three year and I list out and I plan towards, put resources against that. Um, talk a little bit about business manifestation for you. Like really, what does, what does that mean for you? It's, this, it's really interesting that it's got your attention because it's, it's not something that people talk about all that much, but they talk about being intentional. And to me, that's really good. Being intentional means I think through my actions and I'm, I, I try to be coherent about how I, I walk my day. But I think being intentional is just that. It's very much in the moment. And manifestation says, hey, I, I have a, an idea for how I want my life to be. I have an idea for what I want my business to be. And, uh, and how those, especially as entrepreneurs, how those things are going to come together. And manifestation, you know, there are famous examples of it. You know, they talked about how Steve Jobs had the uh, reality 
distortion field or whatever. He was a great practitioner of manifestation. And we all can do that. And yet sometimes we don't know where to start. So one of the things I wanted to bring was um, a suggestion for entrepreneurs who are trying to figure out like that exact problem. Like how do I, how do I change my reality? You know, how do I, how do I bring my business to where I want it to be and make that consistent also with my life goals. And so we've used a tool called the EOS operating system, the entrepreneur's operating system. And there was a book written by a guy named Gino Wickman. Probably plenty of your listeners have heard of it, but if you haven't run into the EOS methodology or the method for running a business, this is a very pragmatic way to bring change into your business and to manifest that change, to actually document it, build the plans and go forward somewhat confidently, as confidently as you can be, that what I'm going to do is going to actually drive me you know, towards some stated goals. Many people have heard the expression, you know, the difference between an idea and a successful business is execution. To me, that's another way of saying manifestation. What I love about it also in EOS is, is the alignment. Uh, I read the book and we had an implementer um, several years ago in our business. And so we're practicing level 10 meetings and, and our leadership team right but I love the alignment, but it's also the documentation. Like it could be all in my head and it could be crystal clear, but if the team behind you isn't aligned and rowing in the same direction, that's an issue. Absolutely. And it's also a tool to solicit and process their ideas as well. You as the business owner, the, the leader, have the responsibility for choosing or even providing the direction, but, but we need to incorporate people's great energy. So to me, um, you know, part of manifesting business success is bringing people with you. And so, so you need to get them bought in and a great mechanism to do that is something like uh, the entrepreneur operating system. So manifestation is really important. We need to have a plan and the plan has to be built from some kind of achievable vision. And this is one great way to do that. And, and you can use manifestation you know, throughout your life. You don't have to just use it in business. You can kind of decide, are you happy where you are in your personal life, in your relations with your, your family, your friends? You, know, you can manifest change by being thoughtful and, and having some kind of plan to get where you want to go in life. So to me, it's a big part of, you know, it's a big, big part of how I run my world. Yeah, and I think successful companies, if you go back and look, whether they've used just this platform or others, I'm sure that they've had the vision. And again, it's documented and it's clear for their team for alignment. I think one of the things you brought up earlier was the right person, the right seat. And, and it's so true that we have this faith, you know, we've hired the person and invested in them, even if they've been with us a long time, that they're good people so they can do their job. But there's so many times where they're the right people in the wrong seat. And, and they say, you know, you, you need to hire slowly and fire quickly. And I do think that's a, certainly a weakness that so many of us have because we have faith in people or because we want to be seen as a good person also. Um, but I think that that point you made about right person, right seat, and maybe, you know, when you go in, you're saying they're not looking at the problems. Something like an EO system allows you to look at those issues <laughs> right up front. And, so, and then you have to address them or they stay on the list. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, we, um, we recommend EOS where we see no system in place in the right-sized organizations. 
Um, we're not uh, implementers, but you know, we certainly can guide people to start the journey. That's another area that's really interesting. Not every CEO is amenable to systems. You just have to learn your audience. You know, as a consultant, when we come in and consulting engagements, you have to figure out who people are. There are people who are just not process oriented. EOS is a process. You, know, you have to be willing to live it, invest the resources in it to realize it. So, but it's a, it's a great tool. Um, you know, I like to say any strategy is better than no strategy at all. <laughs> that may be true with uh, business management methods. You yeah. Know? For sure. Any method is better than none. So. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So we are at the point where I would love for you to share a positive story. Happy Marketer Connection. Ken, what do you have to share with the audience today? Well, I want to I continue the theme a little bit, but with a bit of a wrinkle. So um, I started my career at IBM. I went to Citibank and then I went to go work with my dad and my best friend's sister, a part-time art director and a part-time bookkeeper. So I went from the two giantest companies, if that's a word, on the planet to uh, basically working in a very small operation. And, and I can't say that other than having had enough with the tumult of the 1980s and big companies, you know, so I just wanted something else. Can't say that was the most intentional thing I ever did. I, I just want to bring out something that I don't know if it comes out enough anymore, is that I think the family business is a really powerful opportunity for a rewarding career experience and rewarding personal experience. And so it's not really funny, but I, I think it's rewarding and positive. So I spent about 11 years working with my father. As much as a young gun, I thought I knew better or um, I had other ideas. I have to say that I learned the business from my dad. I learned a lot of business principles owning a business and caring for other people through watching how he uh, moved through the world. And I had a relationship with my father who's still alive at 97, though sadly with uh, dementia. But I, I had a relationship with him as an adult that was just unparalleled unless you you know, live in a multi-generational home or work with a family member. And in our case, um, we never had any serious disagreements. And I know there are family businesses that are crazy with dysfunction. But in, in my case, it was incredibly rewarding to know my father as an adult, as a mentor, ultimately as a peer, partner, you know, maybe my best friend, though we didn't talk about it that way. And I just want to encourage people that, especially as, you know, there's so much disruption in our lives that I think the family business might be a place where we can find meaning, seek some shelter, build things together with people that we're already intimate with and love and can just really find a great outcome, you know, business and personal outcome. So that's my experience, you know, that um, maybe one of the most profound aspects of my career is for me personally, was that time that I got to spend with my dad and feel that I know him so well. And I, and I know with so many of my friends that haven't done that, that they don't have that. So, so I, I just want to encourage maybe the, the folks who are either my age or your age, who might have kids who could come into the business, or the young adults who are wondering what next, because they're one of the 30 million people trying to find a job, 
that maybe, you know, looking close to home, if it's a possibility is, is something worth truly considering because it's really hard, especially when you're young to think, what is it going to look like 10 years from now? What am I going to take away from that experience 25 years from now? And, you know, I can tell you that in the case where, you know, you manage to get along well, it's one of the greatest things that I've achieved. And, you know, I feel like I've done some good stuff in my life, but probably the most valuable experience I've taken away from work has been working with my father. That's a great story. I love it. And super positive and a good reminder because we don't often hear that. You often hear family businesses have dysfunction or they're scary. And I think being able to not only for you to see your father in a different light and respect, I'm sure the opposite happens as well, which is which is great that you can prove, you know, we're always wanting to prove to our parents, but you can really prove the adults and the, <laughs> the talent you've become as well. So I love that story. So wrapping up here, any final thoughts, Ken, for the audience and how do people find you? Well, I think we, you know, we touched on a lot of topics. I think for people that are running these businesses, you have to be a little fearless about where you look. Imagine uh, what could be and try and build a plan to do it. If you're not an expert in the software as a service business model, look to resources like OpenView or SaaS Capital um, or KeyBank that publish some great research on how to make the SaaS business model work and be kind of fearless. You know, especially in these times, it takes, a, it takes a special entrepreneur to make investments when everybody else is running scared. Yeah. And I think this is where, right, this is where business takes off because you're making the investments while everybody else is holding back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. And then how do people find you? Sure. My company website is austinlawrence.com. That's A-U-S-T-I-N-L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E.com. And I'm on LinkedIn at LinkedIn slash in slash Ken Lempit. And uh, would love to connect with any of your listeners who uh, have a problem we might help them solve or just talk it out. So thank you. Excellent. Thanks so much, Ken. Appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Ken, for joining me today. To hear more stories and lessons from happy marketers, be sure to subscribe to the Happy Marketer Connection podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To learn more about community building, our Vesta Solutions delivers community-powered marketing to elevate your digital presence, deliver predictive insights, and transform your consumers into lasting brand advocates. And I welcome you to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Sue Freck or to find us at Vesta-Go.com. Thank you.